Welcome to Get Your Rocks Up with Mick Wall, the world's leading rock and metal writer. Each fortnight, Mick will unpack rock and roll stories, stories that you probably won't find in print. So pour yourself a Jack and Coke and get ready to get your rocks up. Hello, my name is Mick Wall. Uh, welcome to Get Your Rocks Up. Get Your Rocks Up. You have to say it like that. You really do. Uh, Get Your Rocks Off, new podcast by me. Uh, if you don't know who I am, I don't know, Google. I, I just can't be bothered to do the big I am. Um, I'm here with my friend today, John Hotton. Hello, Mick. <laughs> who really is a fantastically professional... <laughs> podcaster. Podcaster and humanitarian. Um <laughs> John and I first met in the 1980s. When yeah, we... 1987 it would have been, when I turned up at Kerrang! magazine on work experience. Yeah. And the big shot, number one gun, was Mr. Mick Wall, if you ever got to see him in the office, because he was always in L.A. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not entirely true. Well, the big gun, obviously, that's true. The but... big gun is true. He was the man. Yeah, absolutely. Still am. Many, <laughs> many would say if they want to stay, my friend. Um, but anyway, so uh, John is is definitely going to be helping me out with these podcasts because uh, not only is John um, was absolutely one of the other really great writers on the magazine, uh, he's gone on to have a much better career than me. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> we won't talk about our successes here. No, no, especially not your success. Um <laughs> enormous success uh, 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 as a writer and a cricket star, basically. Um, <laughs> detective, part-time lover, the yeah, whole thing. All those and, things. All those things. Come to me. Come to me. Yeah. So uh, if you do have ideas for the sort of things you'd like to hear us talking about, if you really must, then do let me know and possibly we'll get round to them. Isn't that right, John? We will, but what we're going to concentrate on today is, I believe, the glory days. The days we think of when we close our eyes and think of the words Kerrang, heavy metal, hair metal, L.A., that's where we're at. That's where our minds are at today. That's where our bodies would be at today had we the money to be there. That's right. That's right. We're going straight to the Sunset Strip. <laughs> we are. We're on we the are. Strip. The strip. We've, we've landed on the Red Eye. We are on Planet Rock, <laughs> 1983 or <laughs> 80-whatever. It's a bit early, really. Oh, is it? Well, I reckon. Well, I'd, well, okay, let's let's get into this. When did L.A. rock begin? I mean, yeah. some would say Van Halen. Yeah, Van Halen, I suppose, were kicking around about that point. Van Halen and the crew. The crew had formed in, what, 1980, 81? So no, First album was 81. 81, so yeah, about 80, yeah. So it was kicking off, starting to kick off then. Who were the, that. who who were then, because also, don't, let, let's not forget, there was Quiet Riot. Yes. Uh, who I think we should also give a special mention to... Because their legendary drummer, Frankie Benali, he sadly died just, just, passed uh, away. Yeah, sadly just earlier, a few weeks ago. Um, I know we're kind of going off message here, but I, I actually um, I saw Frankie in L.A. back in February. Did you? He was at this special Dio memorial event. Right. 
And um, as I'm sure a lot of you know, Frankie was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer a year and a half ago. He's only given six months to live, but he clearly went further than that. And I interviewed him uh, in June, just over the phone, because lockdown, I can't get to LA. Um, uh, and he was still in amazing form, an incredibly intelligent, interesting guy. Did you know he did artwork? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I saw a wonderful, I don't know if you can get it on Netflix or somewhere like that, at the time of the Anvil documentary, which everyone remember, which was terrific. The legendary. The legend, you know, which, which kicks out every band then wanted a kind of Anvil, the story of Anvil, their own thing. Saxon did a very funny one, which I saw, and there were, there were lots of others. I believe, and I, I did see parts of it, uh, Frankie Benali did one about Quiet Riot and his friendship with Kevin Dubrow, which was a lifelong thing, and obviously ended when when kevin died and that was incredibly touching especially the final scenes where frankie was at kevin's grave and so you know i, I just think yeah it, it's it's a reminder we're going to go off into the madness and the fun and the you know the great bits about being young but you know in the end everyone gets old and these things start to happen and you know that was an incredibly touching film i was very sorry to hear about frankie actually he was a good guy he was a good guy, very talented as well, and he became kind of the keeper of the quiet riot. He very flame. much so, yeah, yeah, and and that needed keeping because, as you say, Mick, and we're talking about those early days of LA and hair metal and where it came from. Quiet riot often get overlooked in that discussion because it's always about Van Halen and and the yeah. crew because they were, you know, they were the, the guys, you know, great looking and all of that. Not the quiet riot, but they had metal health was massive, wasn't it? It was the first ever. Uh, I think, heavy metal album to go to number yeah, one. Yeah, number one on Billboard, which I think kind of turned a light bulb on and made everyone think, hang on, you know, here, here's a genre of music that is not represented particularly anywhere. I mean, this is pre the start of MTV, probably just about the start of MTV. About the same time. About the same time. I think time. MTV is, what, 82? Yeah, yeah. So it's year. just all starting Ish. to coalesce. It's all starting to come together. And, uh, and you know, I think that kind of opened people's eyes and said, hang on, you know, well, Quiet Riot can have yeah. a number one album. Yeah. You know, I mean, certainly light bulbs are going on in Sharon Osbourne's mind. And, uh, you know, Ozzy came along. Ozzy based himself in L.A. First thing he did, you know, was, was he not woken from his drunken and drug <laughs> stupor by Sharon in, in a hotel in L.A. somewhere? That, and she rescued him. I mean, that... She did. That that all happened in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the, 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 the Quiet Riot connection here is that Ozzy's... Uh, the thing that tra helped transform Ozzy from a broken down Black Sabbath reject into a massive heavy metal star in America in the 80s was Randy Rhodes. Yes, um, yes. Who uh, had been in Quiet Riot. Yeah, yeah. And along, I think, with Eddie Van Halen, arguably even more so, was the guy that kind of introduced, set the The Whiddly Whiddly. The Whiddly Whiddly guitar, which was the essential component, wasn't it? I mean, shredding. Did, yeah, shredding, as they call it. We, well, well, everyone used to call it something different, didn't they, back it, before it became known as <laughs> shredding. But yeah. yeah, that was the thing. When you suddenly heard, or whatever it was. How did it go? It was, it was very, it was, 
<laughs> and then the singer could come in ah, on top of it, and it was amazing. Unless he was Aussie. Yeah, so, yeah, like, then it's more like a, yeah. Yeah. oh, Sharon. Yeah, it was fucking great. But no, Randy, you're absolutely right about that. But I've got a question for you, Mick, before we kick in a bit to that. And it's about LA itself, the place. If you believe in any kind of psychogeography or the force of place, the influence of place... What is it about L.A. that meant that became the city in the same way that Seattle will later come to represent grunge music or New York represents disco and glam? And, you know, what was it about L.A., do you think, that was particularly responsible for what we're going to talk about? I, I think geography is exactly what we're talking about. Um, Los Angeles had always been the, the hedonistic capital. Yeah. Of America, New York had always traditionally been the head of uh, the, the the center of the music business in America, but Los Angeles, by the eighties, um, has 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 had this period in the seventies, this decadent period of Led Zeppelin at the Rainbow on, yeah. uh, in West Hollywood, Fleetwood Mac, yeah, uh, the Eagles, yeah, that yeah. whole kind of dark desert highway hedonism, yeah. Uh, but you were talking kind of Lear jets. I mean, wasn't it wasn't it Don Henley of the Eagles who ca- coined the phrase "love 'em and leer 'em"? Yeah, be- because, <laughs> because if the groupies were, that's what you did, man. Because that's what you yeah. did, man. Uh, if they were in, like, you know, I don't know, uh, 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 Arizona, and the chicks backstage mm. that night weren't weren't good enough. Good enough. <laughs> They would put a Lear, get a Learjet to fly chicks from L.A. Yeah. to the show. Well, who doesn't do that? And then they'd love them and leer them, leer, yeah, yeah. the Learjet back. back. Yeah. I mean, who didn't do that in Everyone, the 70s? Everyone's a winner. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, best of my love, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you've got this whole kind of Hotel California <laughs> yeah, ethos, yeah, yeah. along with the movie industry, yeah. which is the sleaziest yeah. business of all, or was until the 80s and metal took over. Um, so you've got this idea of LA being dreams, hedonism, yeah. But also, I think in the eighties, what made it so acute for metal was that uh, in the rest of the world, post-punk, and I include America in this because mm. it wasn't like this in New York. Um, uh, everywhere else, post-punk, uh, metal was the, the uncoolest music there had ever been. You know, I mean, when Motley Crue came along, their biggest criticism for most of their, most of the most successful part of their career was, but they can't play. Yeah. <laughs> but, but their songs yeah. aren't any good. Yeah. Um, and, and in LA, people, and I was there for a lot of this, we were going, give us a fuck, man. It's really fun. Yeah. Have you seen the chicks? Yeah. <laughs> Have you had yeah. all those drugs? Yeah. And are we going to ride that motorcycle into the pool or are we just going to sit here all night reading the latest lyrics from Morrissey? I mean, you know. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think, you know, when you do uh, probably a final word on L.A., the place if people haven't been or weren't there at the time is that L.A. is a huge city, a huge sprawling city that is kind of divided by the hills in which you see the big sign and everything. But this, the, the, the times and the bands we're talking about centered on a very small part of that, which, which was West Hollywood, which was, which is now ironically, I think, 
the great kind of LBGT centre of LA. You yeah. Know? So it's changed completely. But it, back in the day, within a few hundred yards, you had yeah, the Sunset Marquee, the Hyatt on Sunset. You had the Rainbow. You had the the Roxy, Cat House, the Roxy. You Wixie had, a go, you know, whiskey a go go. Yeah. The, and then Barney's Beanery, and you know the Cat and Fiddle, and all those places everyone used to go and hang out in. It was a bit like the middle of London, where you could just walk around. If you remember that, there was the marquee and the, you know, uh, yeah, whatever, the ship and the the San Maritz and all of those. Within a few hundred yards, it, well, maybe slightly more than that, but this this scene was centered on a few streets in West Hollywood. That's where it was. Motley Crue's apartment was just round the corner from the. North, uh, North Clark North Drive. Clark, North Clark Street, that's right. Yeah, Down the yeah. road from the Rock and Roll Route. Yeah, <laughs> the Rock and Roll, which is amazing. Is, if you went there in the 1980s from England, the idea that a supermarket <laughs> would be open <laughs> 24 hours yeah. blew your tiny mind, yeah. baby. And you go in there and they used to sell big bags of crisps. It was like, man, have you seen these crisps? They're not like a little golden wonder size. They're the size of your head, you know. It was, and this was like, welcome to LA, welcome to America. That was the difference in the lifestyle. And the reason it was called Rock and Roll Ralphs, of course, was that you'd see trailing round there, you know, Tamey Down or Stephen Adler or some guy sent out by his chick. Do I'm hungry, go and get me. Yeah, that was the, <laughs> Rock and Roll Ralphs. That's where they went, yeah. Uh, and that, that idea of uh, instead of less is more, this was more is more. <laughs> more is very much more. more yeah, is more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can't go too large with this. Mm. And that was implicit in the place because not only was it 24 hours, but the weather was always so great. I remember one time um, uh, before Guns N' Roses became monumentally famous. I mean, even after they did, uh, actually, but this was just before... And uh, I was around someone's place in West Hollywood, mm. and Slash was there, Izzy was there, Duff was there, uh, and people from, you know, Cinderella or Rat, yeah. or just anybody that had been down the Rainbow that night. We ended up at this place. Uh, Rainbow, the famous club in West Hollywood where Led Zeppelin first popularised it. But by the 80s, we're talking crew... Aussie, guns, poison, you name it. You, you, have to, you have to imagine this place if you've never seen it. It's like the sort of inside of a tart boudoir, wasn't it? it was <laughs> all red. Dark, yeah, all red, dark, with sort of shell-shaped seats. So all, all, everywhere you could sit was sort of semicircles. Half with moons. A, yeah, with a table in front of you. So And it, underneath yeah, that uh, table, quite often a waitress. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was, yeah, it was sort of, Decadent in the worst possible way, and it still is. It's still, it's still like that, apparently. Yeah. In fact, we're yeah. going to do a podcast episode specifically about the rainbow at some point because uh, that also because has cool. a big anniversary coming up next ah, year. Does yeah, it? Okay, yeah, no, yeah, we'll, we will yeah. get there. But yeah. this particular night, so there's always reprobates back at this pad. It might even have been my pad, actually. I think it was, in fact. And uh, around the corner was a Safeway supermarket. <laughs> And, of course, again, we weren't used to this back in uh, the old country in those days. It was 24-7. And, of course, it was built like an airport. Yeah. Enormous, you know. Yeah. And uh, we were having gin fizzes. <laughs> I Don't ask me why. But four in the morning, gin fizz, no. dude, you know. And uh, what, is, we what is a gin fizz? Gin. Yeah. And I think lemon. <laughs> so it's basically just gin. 
and lemon. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, this is important because this is the story, right? <laughs> uh, I, truthfully, I can't remember. I think someone was making it in the bath or something. But uh, <laughs> so suddenly it's like, we're out of lemons, dude. No, <laughs> dude. Tragedy. <laughs> lemons. Yeah. So Izzy Stradlin goes, not a problem, dude. I'll, I'll just go and get some. <laughs> So Izzy takes off. He's not driving. Is he always the sensible one? Is he the sensible <laughs> one? Um, he, 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 he takes off, but he doesn't drive because obviously, you know, even Izzy's not crazy enough to drive when he's been up for five days doing all <laughs> kinds of gin fizzes. Yeah. Um, off he goes. He goes around to the Safeway and thinking, wow, what a hero, you know. He's gone ages. I mean, ages. <laughs> and finally, he comes out. We can hear him coming up the street because there's like a rattle. <laughs> There's this rattling. <laughs> and it's Izzy coming back with a huge shopping cart uh, filled to the brim with lemons. <laughs> and he's like, dude, I got the lemons. Yeah. By which time we'd, what are they for, man? <laughs> yeah. The gin fit. Oh, no, no, we're, we're over that. We're on to something else yeah. now, you know. Yeah. Uh, I must tell you another quick story about Izzy. Might have been the same night. I can't remember. I think all these nights blur into mm. one. But there was another occasion very similar and Izzy was searching in his pockets for something to light a cigarette. And a bit of paper fell out of his pocket. And um, I'm like, Izzy, you dropped, uh, you know. So he picks it up. It's all scrunched up. And he kind of opens it out. And he goes, oh, man, yeah, it's check. I went, all right. Uh, I'm like, what, a royalty check? Yeah. You know, ha, ha, ha. He went, yeah. And I was <laughs> like, give us a look. It was for $900,000. Not exactly, it's like 900 and... And something. something. And change. And change, dude. 900 and change. And I'm looking at this going, fuck, you know, I said, uh, you don't want to lose this. He goes, oh, yeah, no. So how long have you had this? He said, it's been in my pocket for a couple of weeks. I said, we better put it in the bank. He goes, I ain't got a bank bank, account. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, if you give it to me... I will yeah. take care of it. This is the thing. I'm, I, I'm not injecting this on a kind of downer note at all. Um, but I think it's worth saying is that you remember everyone was really young then, mm. you know, and a lot of these kids, you kind of realise now, you look back, and I know a lot of them start with Motley Crue when they did The Dirt, which was kind of a bit of fun, but, you know, started to touch on a few truths of, of people's lives. And then you had Axel, you know, <coughs> whose anger is a lot, easier to understand when you start to hear about his childhood Absolutely, and you hear yeah. about Nikki Six's childhood and, yeah. you hear about, and you think now in the in the world we live in now in 2020 we would understand those people far better yeah back then you had this kind of incredibly hedonistic city incredibly hedonistic time people were very young and the way they were not just escaping life to live a rock and roll lifestyle to have great fun which it was but there was this pain that was behind it in in a lot of cases and i think you know i've just as i've got older i've come to recognize that and think i wish i'd thought about that more at the time in dealing with some of those people who you just oh he's a dick you know he won't do this he won't do this interview he won't you know he's he's unconscious on heroin or for six days or whatever how annoying is that yeah how annoying is that don't you know i've got a deadline (laughs) get that needle out of your arm nikki six but you know you come to understand you know why they were where they were and why some of that music had what it's had you know i mean you might you can call nikki six what you like but 
you know, kickstart my heart yeah. and all of that. So that was real. That was, that was absolutely real as it was happening. And if it had anything, yeah, rudimentary chords or whatever, my five year old could play them doesn't matter. What it had was truth at its heart. And I think that's what was connecting with people a lot of the time. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good point. And I think, um, I think Guns N' Roses in particular coming when they did rather yeah. than at the beginning of that wave, as it were. They came yeah. towards the end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and suddenly there was a little more space for them to move into uh, and people were ready to hear songs that were clearly more than just girls, girls, girls yeah, or, yeah. I or think, um, I think Wild you're right. Side. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that a lot, you know, I know... LA and if you yeah, again if you were there at the time fant- you know a, cl- a, a typical night out on the strip in West Hollywood you wouldn't be able to move there were people standing in the street and everyone was in a band everyone was handing out flyers because this is back in the day there's no email no. there's no internet you couldn't text someone about your band if you had a gig the only way you could tell someone was to print a flyer cheap and stand in the street and put it in someone's hand and hope they took took notice so it kind of created this you'd see the same guys out there you know there was that band london wasn't there that sort of well, famous well they were kind of LA. like uh, the the nest yeah from which from, came yeah, I mean, Wasp, yeah, well, yeah blackie was in it nicky was in it other uh, people nadir de priest was in it let us not forget <laughs> nadir but a de great priest. character great who you would see around doing flowers or whatever the fuck he was doing you know and so you'd have this kind of pulsing scene of people and in amongst that are people you've never heard of who probably who knows what happened to them did they go away you know randy from odin what happened to him from odin randy you see this is another aspect i don't think people pay enough attention to which is names yeah names where did you get your name from because you had to think up a name when you got there because it's about reinvention it's about being someone new so let's go through nikki six yeah two k's two x's yeah yeah do you even know the origins of that? I don't. Me either. I okay. Don't. Nadir de Priest. I love that <laughs> That's one. A, you had to get a little, little, yeah. to, a, a little um, <laughs> apostrophe in your uh, surname. Either an apostrophe or an umlaut. umlaut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Nadir de Priest. Essentials. Brett Michaels. Brett, yeah. Yeah, simple I mean, he, but classic. I mean, he could have been Brett. a he could have been a porn star, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah. Brett Michaels yeah. is in She Does yeah. It Twice or... <laughs> What it is. The postman Michael, always knocks yeah. five times. <laughs> Brett Michaels always bangs twice. C.C. Deville. C.C. <laughs> Deville. That's fantastic, isn't it? Uh, you know. the, obvious, the obvious one. I mean, Mick Mars. Mick, yeah, yeah. Come well, on. I mean, you know, Mick was, I mean, he, he's a kind of constant fascination of mine because that dude was old in 1987. I think he actually he died in about yeah, 84, yeah. but is still walking <laughs> the earth. incarnated, yeah, in some way, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Robert Deal is his name. See, this is the other thing. Now, when we were writing on Kerrang, there was a big sort of hoo-ha at one point about Motley Crue that we might come on to in another episode. Right. This hoo-ha involved who had actually been in the band at what point and so on and so forth. You're, you're alluding, um, we're we alluding, will get on to another episode, the alluding to the moment to, when, when Nikki Six Nikki Six was exposed as being a doppelganger <laughs> in the pages of Kerrang. Is this true? Is this not true? Who knows? But anyway, well, we do know. It wasn't true. But anyway, it's a long story. It we're, was we're nearly come, true. Was there was nearly, a lot of overlap it, it was, between was, reality and fantasy. Was, it, this is what we'll come on to, the, you know, but this will be another episode. But what, what it did involve was 
we were suddenly revealed the real names of people who were in Motley Crue, and we printed them in the magazine, and we didn't know them. There was no internet. You couldn't just look some guy right. up and find right. out who he was, as you can now. There was mystery. There was, you know, hang on, Nikki's real name's Frank Farana. I, I remember being shocked. What? Yeah, like, man, you mean Nikki Six isn't his Frank name? Frank Farana. Who's Frank Farana? And, and uh, Bob Deal was... <laughs> You, you understand, Bob Bobby Deal. You understand Good why he deal. became. You understand. <laughs> drug deal. And on guitar, why did he drug deal. Why did he ever change that? What an idiot! What's the what deal, an idiot, Bob? Mick Mars is. <laughs> so, so we found out they're wrong. It was like this is crazy, you know. So you, so there was a, there was a kind of uh, the whole thing was this fun, a kind of fantastic illusion where you could go and become someone new. And Mick Mars was a great case in point because he'd been knocking around since about seventy two or something like that with the name Motley Crue. And there was always a great story at the time. Oh, you know the reason Mick's in the band? He owns the name, man. <laughs> That's why Mick's in the band, you know, because he because <laughs> he looked like this kind of. Why was he in the band? Wasn't it because he was the only one with a van or something no, like I that? Don't, I don't know. I mean, the, all these origin stories, you don't really know. I mean, the story was that he had the name Motley Crue. He'd be, I think he'd definitely been in a band called Motley Crue, oh. and it was spelled the conventional way right, at that right, point. Right. But then I think Nicky came along. And, and really what's worth saying about Nicky as well, as, as you know, having knocked his songwriting earlier... Um, is his kind of aesthetic sense was what made the band. He was Completely. a really clever guy. and it's his he, vision. Yeah, it was his vision. And that's, when I say the aesthetics of the band, not just the song titles and the album titles, but the way they dressed, the way the, the album covers looked, the way the logo looked, the way the band name was spelled, the way the fact they had the couple of umlauts, all of that stuff came from Nicky. And, you know, he when they did Theatre of Pain, you know, all of their, all the devil stuff and... You know, so it, it, all all of that came from from Nicky, and that was his true genius, I think, as a not necessarily as a musician and songwriter, but as a kind of visionary of what this scene could become. Absolutely, and when you saw them on stage in those days, he to me, you couldn't take your eyes off him. I remember the first time I saw them live in some little place. And at one point, he just stood there at the front of the stage, not even touching the guitar, just preening. And he was magnetic. He just mm. looked otherworldly. Yeah. Um, and I think... I think, I think it's I, amazing to think they were living those lifestyles because these guys were... Nicky and Tommy, I would say, were what I would call genetic celebrities. Yeah. In that their genes were just sensational. You could see them. I remember them turning up in London once, and this was shortly after the Matthew Tripp thing, when Nicky Six hated me, right? And uh, Jeff Barton, who's the editor of Kerrang, said, oh, do you want to go and interview Motley Crue? <laughs> like, oh, all right, okay. Because they're going over to Ray Palmer's studio. Ray was a photographer, and Ray had a studio in Labrook Grove, I think it was. Of course That he, he shared did. with Tony Mottram. And... Uh, was Which wasn't at all sleazy. <laughs> Can we just say it wasn't at all sleazy? No, there was nothing like that going on. And and the crew went over there. And this is here's the great thing. They turned up in four separate limousines. <laughs> they, they, they each took up about three parking meters. And there were these poor bastards from the record company outside running up and down the parking meters, desperately shoving change into them while the Motley Crew staggered out. And they'd just come back from some, was Japan or something like that. You know, it was like these guys were at the, on a record company treadmill by this point i think um 
Dr. Feelgood had either just come out or was just about to come out. That was their they, big, you know, that was their first number one. Was a, they they America, were just yeah. going to become more than just a sort of a, an LA, but they were going to become global superstars at this point. And they come trooping it. They're all bored, you know. <laughs> Vince is bored and Tommy's bored. But you looked at these guys. And Ray, Ray's studio was just this kind of, you know, typical photographer's studio. It's just an empty sort of a warehousey type space. But what it had was it had this sort of set of stairs at the back and it had a kind of mezzanine, only small with a little kind of wooden barrier around it. But up there were a couple of sofas and you could just sit up there and watch what was going on. And so we decided we'd do the interview in, in twos. So right. we'd do like two would have their photographs done while I interviewed two of them. And then they'd swap around, you know. And Nikki and Tommy came up. No, no Nikki and Nikki might have done it with Vince, I think. Or, and, then, and then Mick did it with, with Tommy. And the cleared, like Vince and Mick looked wrecked. You know, they'd just been to Japan. They fucking... Vince was moaning about that Russia festival. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. thing that I was got, there. The, the Moscow Music the Mos- Peace Festival. He goes, he goes uh, do you know how far Moscow is, man? It's fucking far. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was so funny. He was really funny about it. Because there was a big, I mean, I'm sure you'll tell this. There's a big argument over who was going to be top of the bill, wasn't there? It ended up with their manager, Doc McGee, being fired. Yeah. Oh, is that what Doc yeah. was fired? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 Sorry, um, Doc. Doc and I have been doing some work recently on a uh, on Doc's memoir. Um, I cannot reveal too much. Uh, possibly, <laughs> but you a can reveal episode. he was fired by Motley Crue. Uh, but he was. Yeah. But he also was the guy that d- discovered Motley Crue. Yeah. Uh, um, and he told me. He said uh, in the early days of Crue, Tommy and Mick would share a room. He said, and um, after a while, he said, we debated whether to take one of the beds out because Mick was never allowed in his bed <laughs> because Tommy would always force him to sleep in the closet. <laughs> because Mick, Mick's thing was booze. Yeah. So Mick was always drunk. Tommy was always the opposite. He was always high as a kite yeah, and yeah. crazy and smashing the place up. So one, a couple of times Mick took to hiding in the closet before Tommy, because Mick would be boozed up and go to bed, and then Tommy would come in four hours later, smash the joint up, bring women and guys, other guys in. So Mick took to hiding in the closet. <laughs> so then Tommy insisted, right, okay, dude, well, that's where you sleep from <laughs> <Yeah>. now on. <laughs> and they did a whole European tour where oh, Mick had to sleep in the so closet. This is the reason why Mick looks like absolute crap when he turns up and and then you know vince does because he's probably shagged 57 of course women, he on the way well, over just on the way over yeah, yeah just so he's bored and he but nikki and tommy i mean they look like gods you know and it transpires at this point they're both on heroin you know right, but, right. but they looked like i mean they were big and nikki was muscly you know yeah. he was a big and at, at one point he turns around to me and he goes you wrote a shitty thing about me, man. I, th- I honestly thought he was going to hit me at that point. He was like very, very well. Yeah, I'd have hit you. So I, he, should have, he hit, should have hit me. He should have hit me. He should have hit me. He was right. And, it, and I just thought, Jesus, if he hits me, you know, he's a big, yeah. strong oh, yeah. guy, but an amazing looking bloke, you know, I mean. And could, they were hitters. Yeah. I mean, they used to hit oh, each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 yeah, and very much the boss, you know, Nicky deferred to by everyone else. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that kind of changed over the years as it went. I mean, I saw, Saw Vince recently 
in Las Vegas. <laughs> it had to be. And, you, know, you saw yeah, Vince in Las yeah, Vegas. Yeah, which is of where he lives. He did. It's where he lives. Is he doing the Fat Elvis he, show? Yeah, he, I, he pretty much is. He's still in the leathers, but they're <laughs> size XXL these days, you know. That's because he's a uh, real man. Yeah, yeah. But Chris, actually, I, I don't know if I can tell that story. Well, let me. I, yeah, go on. Go on no. All right, well, let me tell a story then about Motley yeah, Crue. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was saying they were hitters. Yeah. They loved to fight. Yeah. Um, on the, in 1984, uh, so what's that? Uh, Theatre of Pain? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Second album, yeah. They, they were the opening act at Castle Donington that year in England. The they Monsters were, of Rock and Marillion were second on the bill. They were. What a bill. What Who a thought bill. that one? Morris Jones, oh, no, come actually, on down. No, no, no. Marillion was uh, the following year. Oh, was it? Oh, okay, okay. Or maybe even the following year. No, I think it was 85, because that was ZZ uh, Top. Probably, no, yeah, it was ZZ Top, you're right. 84 was My uh, Van Halen. My Bad, as they ACDC, yeah, blah yeah. blah The Good Year. So they they did uh, they did the European Monsters of Ross yeah, Festival yeah. Circuit. Motley's first time out of America doing yeah. stuff. And um, at that time, they, they had this thing of, they, they would bite, they were biting people. Everybody they met, they would bite. Jesus. Uh, Doc told me one time uh, Tommy bit him on the shoulder, and and Doc is a tough dude. Mm. He's not tall like Tommy, but I mean, you know, Doc had been in the army, and I, I don't know if you know this. Doc had been a wrestler at college. <laughs> I did not know. Yeah, that. no Olympic. Are you talking about like proper college wrestling, not the absolutely? You know, the you don't mess with Doc. No way. No, that's proper. That's so Doc MMA like, these days he'd be into. So as Tommy's biting him on the shoulder, Doc's like, grabs him by the head, throws him over on the ground. Bang, bang, bang. That's proper management. That's proper man management. (laughs) You take the drummer who's biting you (laughs) in the neck and drawing blood, you hurl him over your shoulder and then beat the fuck out of him. That's what you call creative management. So they're in this phase of biting and... uh, one of the early Monsters of Rock Festival shows is in France or somewhere mm. like that. And um, um, and Tommy bites. Oh, yeah, he bit Eddie Van Halen. Okay. <laughs> of course he did. They're all on bad. the hand. And these are like the... the on the hand, just these before are like the, the show. headliners or co-headliners. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and Motley are the unknown opening band. Well, not unknown, but, you know, in Europe. And uh, so he bites Eddie Van Halen. He loses his shit, you know. Well, and so suddenly yeah. David Lee Roth stands on the table <laughs> and he's doing all the karate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He Come on, he's, he's, doing, do, he's kicking the air. Martial yeah. arts. <laughs> he's flying through the air. You yeah, know. yeah. And Tommy Lee stands up and goes, I'm going to fuck you up, dude. And just gets hold of him and goes, smack, yeah. smack, yeah. smack. Doc has to come running over and separate them. Wow. But I just love this image of David Lee Roth doing his, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. on a table, yeah, yeah, yeah. doing the thing, and Tommy yeah. just going, oh, yeah, yeah. gets him and uh, shows him what it's about. You see, that would be an interesting sidetrack of which guys were the fighters and which guys were the kind of, because, you know, there was the whole, it used to be a thing, didn't it? The bands are challenging each other to fight. Twisted Sister walked around Covent Garden <laughs> looking for Crocus. Do you remember? They were looking for Crocus. They were walking around Covent Garden in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can't, they, there were was, Crocus there was in London feud. at the time. Who knows, man? <laughs> there was a feud. There was a feud. I don't know this one. Tell it me this one. Kerrang. It was in I was a reader at the time, so I only know this one. But, I mean, sort of guys you don't mess with. Dee Snyder would be pretty high on the list, as would their bass player, Mark Mendoza, I think his oh, name God, was. Oh, God, yeah. He was, I mean, these guys were... Wasn't he 
called Mark the Animal, the animal Mendoza? <laughs> As a clue, and he used to have an enormous knife strapped to his leg, so which was a bit of a giveaway. <laughs> but and you know, so you had guys who you you genuinely wouldn't mess with, but in the press, everyone would be at each other, you know. <laughs> and I suppose this this reached its apogee, its 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 high point when. Uh, Vince, uh, was it Vince and Axel decided to have it away at the MTV Awards, was it? Well, well no, that was the was catalyst. That was the catalyst. <laughs> but then Axel... Yeah. But uh, we see, but we're, all I was going to say is we're now going to the guys who can't really fight. Well, well this, was the, this was the classic yeah. thing about mm. the whole Axel versus Vince, Vince scenario, yeah. which uh, uh, key, keen eared listeners will probably go oh he's going to tell the story of getting the ring you know um that's for another time yeah but in this interview uh, uh that axel did with me uh, where he calls out vince that's right yeah now so, so now what we're happened was good a, stuff yeah. i think it was a vma he's not mt i think it was it was VMAs. a thing it was a backstage thing wasn't it where they were but, all but, together. but do you know what what the spark was the spark was that uh, Vince had married, what was her name, Cherise? Oh, Cherise, yeah. She, she was really a really nice person, Cherise. She was. Interviewing. Go, she she was also a, She was a very nice person. She was a mud wrestler at the Tropicana. The Tropicana, she was, yeah. So Vince had married uh, this we'll, we'll very, very about, nice... We should talk about that non-sexist night out in a minute. We, 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 um, <laughs> <laughs> so Vince had married this very, very nice mud wrestler mm. from the Tropicana called Cherise, very nice lady, mm. good mud wrestler, I believe. <laughs> um, and, and while Motley were on, to, uh, on tour with Dr. Feelgood, Guns N' Roses were off tour now. They literally finished touring as Appetite went to number one right, and right. then spent the next two years just doing sod all. Well, um, no, surely you mean making Use Your Illusion. Yeah, working hard, <laughs> feverishly every yeah, day, yeah. creating a masterpiece. <laughs> Um, and so while Motley are on, on tour, Izzy allegedly ends up shagging Cherise. Right. Right. Probably accidentally. <laughs> you know, these things could happen in Hollywood in those days. Yeah. You wake up in the morning, oh my God, it's my yeah. dear friend Vince's wife. Yeah. Oh, she's got to leave now because she, she's got a mud wrestling match at the Tropicana <laughs> later. So, um, I don't think once Vince, I don't think she was mud wrestling once she was married to Vince. Oh, I really? I don't, I'm just interjecting at that point. Oh, she, she left behind I the promising ha- career think, as a mud wrestler. <laughs> yeah. I think the In order to become a full-time of... housewife and caregiver. <laughs> <laughs> going to talk about the Tropicana in a minute. Good. Okay, finish but let, let, me let me finish the story. Let me finish the story. So, now I'm not saying Izzy did. Mm. Uh, I'm saying that was the story That's the Vince point heard. of his name. That's how he got his name. <laughs> Izzy is he? or not. Izzy or not. We just don't know. Izzy, isn't he? Yeah. Did he, didn't he? <laughs> um, I've lost... Oh, yeah, so uh, Vince comes back. Here's this story. Now, obviously, you'd be upset. and um, Especially if you'd been faithful like Vince was <laughs> on, the, on the road. Well, there you are, you see. <laughs> you've kept, your, you know, you've kept yourself your pure through that entire two-year tour. You've kept your vows <laughs> solemnly, as you do if you're Vince Neil and Motley Crue in the 80s. Yeah. Um, uh, he hears this, clearly upset, and at the V, I think it was the VMAs, might have been MTV, all the same. Um, at the award show, uh, Izzy's there with Axel. And, uh, right at the end of the night, 
uh, Vince gets hold of Izzy and gives him a couple of smacks. Right. At which point, according to Axel, uh, <laughs> Axel ran yeah. over yeah. to sort Vince out. Yeah. Now, Axel telling me about this. He's Apparently, his people, his people held him back. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so, in the subsequent interview, it, it, Axel says to me, uh, uh, "Right, I, I, I'll call you out, Vince. I'll meet you anywhere, mm. anytime." Uh, 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 guns or knives that's like guns or knives I'm going to quit like that's going to happen do you mean guns and roses so yeah guns or roses roses any kind of flower (laughs) arrangement you wish to bring to the fight now of course the fight never happened even though (laughs) Don King offered to promote you told me that the the amazing Don King broke off from his latest Mike Tyson (laughs) negotiation yeah so so to say, literally, a, say, get in the ring. Exactly. Well, I'll, I'll provide the ring. Yes. And the money. Yes. Yeah. Although our timelines are entangled here, but that's <laughs> yeah. okay. So, but here's what I'm thinking at the time. Now, Axel, um, uh, I, you know, I, we'll get into this another time. But immensely talented guy, as you mentioned earlier, clearly a troubled childhood. This isn't a crazy rock star. No, this is a. No. This is a troubled he's, individual. He's a troubled man, yeah, yeah. Definitely. But very creative, very artistic. But here's the thing. Physically, I mean, small, yeah, tiny, tiny guy. Ar- yeah. Arms like pipe cleaners. Yeah. This is not a guy down the gym. No, he's not a fighter. No, no. he definitely yeah. is not a fighter. Vince came from a tough yeah. street gang LA. environment in, yeah. the, in the barrio, yeah. Mexican background. Yeah. Of all the people in Los Angeles you would wish to offer out to have a fight with vince is not even on the list yeah. he's the guy on the one to avoid list. yes oh definitely yeah. yeah because even if you were able to beat him he'd still plunge a broken yeah. bottle in your neck yeah. at some point you know you did not mess with vince mm. um uh so yes yeah, so axel not a real fighter vince yeah. very much so yeah yeah and we should, uh, yeah, we, we did touch on the Tropicana at that point. I mean, this, I remember writing about Tropicana a few years ago and just thinking what an extraordinary idea it was. I mean, essentially, it was a... Well, it well was, we should say it was a club. Set the scene. It's a club in a... Uh, and so there were various stop-offs on your night out in L.A. On your night uh, out? On my night out. <laughs> and that was number yeah, one. No. <laughs> It was about number five, man, because it, because it was slightly off the beaten track, as I remember. It, you, you kind of had to get a cab there, probably. A limo. Yeah, a, or a you limo. kind of had to get a or limo. Or a Learjet. Yeah, or a Learjet. Yeah, something like that. But, and it was in this kind of strange sort of grey building. It didn't look like, like it wasn't on the strip. It wasn't on the, you know, it wasn't kind of have a big flashing light or anything like that. It was in this kind of grey, you know, if you drove past it during office hours which obviously we all kept. <laughs> you just think what's that <laughs> what's that place but during non-office hours yeah it became a, a a nightclub and the selling point of this nightclub was the mud wrestling and the mud wrestling was conducted under certain rules so, sorry just to interject it female mud well this was what i was going to say it, it this isn't my you know this you weren't going to see hulk hogan Suddenly, jump in the jump in the mud wrestling pool or, because it was or a these days, pool. It, it could have been John Cena. John Cena, yeah. You weren't yeah. going to see him at the yeah, Tropicana in the mud. Yeah. wasn't going to happen. That or the Rock. Yeah, the Rock. The Rock. Uh, or, or the mud, as yeah. he was known <laughs> yeah, in his early in days. 
before his yeah, career solidified. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So even for even in the eighties, in which notions of sexism were somewhat different to, uh, as you can probably gather by our little conversation, bit, little bit different were, were today. Yeah. The the highlight of Tropicana, which would there'd be music and there'd be all of this going on, and then all of that would stop, and out would come an MC, and I can't remember the guy's name. It was this sort of like MC Mike or something like that. He had a, he had a name. The, the guy had a name, whatever his name was. And he would call up two girls in bikinis and they would auction them off to people at some of the tables. So you could bid for your mud wrestler. So you could bid, I'll bid you know, $10 or whatever it was. What, and they would yeah, join they, you they, at the table? They, well, they would become your fighter. So you, oh, were, you were backing that. Gotcha. Might, you became you know, their you sponsor. Could, you could, yeah, you could auction. So, how how demeaning was that? I remember there was a there was a mud wrestler called Red. I, I remember that the night. Of course, that I went, there was the night that I went. Did there. she have red I, hair? I purely went there as a journalist to report back on what was happening. She did have red hair, amazingly enough. <laughs> and and then the girls would get in this like a paddling pool filled with fake mud. I mean, I don't know what it really was. It was you know it was just. Fake. I'm hoping it was mud. Well, it, well, it, it wasn't mud, mud. It wasn't the sort of oh, like a, yeah. off so a you're football destroying, you're destroying well, a decade's was, worth it of illusions. It was illusions more kind of liquidy, now. more liquidy than Let's mud. Call you know I mean? mud. Let's call it mud. Let's call it mud. And they would wrestle. They would wrestle in these little bikinis, and that was it. That was it. That was a that was a standard night out. And because I, I, ne- I never actually got as far as the Tropicana, um, because I was leading a sheltered existence, <laughs> obviously in those days. Um, but but when you say wrestle, I mean like. Well, I mean, it, I mean the mud's incredibly slippery, so you can't. You really get hold yeah, of each I'm other. I'm getting a little. Yeah, you're hot getting a, get an idea of what it's actually a like. Bit slippery. You know, slippery mud, and they're kind of sliding around in in their bikinis. That was the Tropicana. And, and, it, and it, was it, it you know, three falls, one submission, <laughs> or a knockout? I don't even know how they told you. But it, and then there was something, and then they play like round and round or something. <laughs> you know, round and round, round and round we go, you know. And the girls have been, and <laughs> you can imagine. What oh, it was like. oh, is that why they used round and round in that movie, The Wrestler? Years maybe later it, with Mickey Rourke. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. Or maybe it's just because it was a cool song. Yeah. Round and round, round. Round and round. I just, How did it, it go? Uh, okay, in a, oh. No, I, I knew... Uh, I, I knew, knew right from the beginning that you would end, end up, up winning. winning. I knew right from the start, start. you'd put an arrow in, in my, my heart. heart. <laughs> Boom. Round, round and round, round, yeah. round and round. Yeah. See, that's cool proper. Song. That's, that's proper. how you write a song. That's your proper. That's how you write a song. That's proper. Yeah. Where is that quality now, these I've got, days? I've got a question for you, Mickey. Mm. Did you ever see a band write a song? Did I ever see a band yeah. write a song? Yeah. Do you mean been, one of those bands? Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. you'd have been in recording studios and that sort of thing. Oh yeah, I see what you mean. Um, when they kind of ha- had a moment ooh, of inspiration. Ooh, let me think. Let me think. Um, I, I've been in a situation where I've had, uh, people play me works in progress. Yeah. Famously, this is, give me a memory. I must tell you quickly. Yeah, yeah. Not LA, but same era. In 1985, Bruce Dickinson, the Iron Maiden singer, mm. and I happen in, in, this is London, happened to live not far from each other. And, uh, he came round one day, 
much to my sort of you know discomfort because because we all liked Bruce you know but we don't want to come round we were never unhappy when he <laughs> left because he was one of those guys he wouldn't talk to you he talked at you yeah yeah we used yeah. to joke that as he'd be talking to you at some party he'd be waving a tenor behind his back <laughs> so someone would come and relieve you you know he's a writer he's an Olympic fencer yeah. he's a pilot what yeah. can't this guy yeah. do yeah. Um, so he came round. And he saw I had an acoustic guitar and he picked it up and he's played me three of the songs wow. he was then writing for the next Maiden yeah. album. And it was all kind of brung, you know, brung. <laughs> yeah. The man came from the mountain, you know, and the valley below. You know, and then he gave them to Harry and Harry said, no. The, the next I made an album is Somewhere in Time, yeah. which if you look that up right now, you'll see there isn't a single, <laughs> there isn't a single songwriting credit for Bruce yeah, on there. Yeah. And do you know why I found out yeah. later? Because Bruce had been going around loads of people's houses and playing <laughs> oh, on these no! songs. And Steve Harris, who was like oh. the Nicky Six of yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Jimmy Page yeah. of Maiden, he went, he's what? He goes, yeah, Steve, he's been playing people the new songs he's written for the album. Yeah, well, see how many fucking songs he ends up with on the album then? None. <laughs> That's the way the music business works. And when you used to hear, <laughs> when you used to see the line, musical differences yeah. applied to bands yeah. breaking up. Yeah, that was really what it was. Yeah, that was yeah. Very much yeah, musical. Yeah. But, um, okay, so I'm, I'm thinking... Uh, I'm thinking, um, let's go back to L.A. Yeah, we Clearly should. we're not going to cover all of this in one episode. No way. Not, we're not even going to scratch the surface. No. Um, uh, but going back to L.A., uh, until Guns N' Roses came along, um, or maybe Poison, I don't know. But, but, uh, I've got to tell you, yeah, Poison, the first time I ever went to L.A., yeah. I've got to tell you, I was, uh, this is a remarkable series of events that I didn't really appreciate at the time. So, the Hyatt on Sunset was where I was staying. Also known as the Riot, Riot House. House, as it was known. It's best known probably, I mean, apart from Led Zeppelin Drive, it has an underground car park from which Led Zeppelin drove their motorbikes into some sort of lift that went up to the mezzanine. Right, where they, they had a yeah. swimming pool on the yeah. roof. Uh, the other thing was, yeah, the swimming pool on the roof, which is where the scenes in Spinal Tap are filmed from the end, which is where everyone knows that sort of rooftop pool. It was an incredibly cool hotel. Very it was. Nice, very nice hotel. And I was coming down the lift, like, first morning, I'm like, oh, you, you know, got me a little room. In America, you go into a hotel room, and it had, even though it was a single room, it had two double beds in it <laughs> and a massive TV. And you thought, I'm like, am I sharing with someone or something? You know, right, in this right. massive room. Come out of this massive room, get in the lift, the lift stops, the doors open, and in gets Little Richard. No shit. Little Richard got in there. Well, he lived he was at the living higher. at the higher. He, he lived at the higher, higher. yeah. Even better than that, he was going jogging. He had, a, <laughs> he had, a, he had on no joke. He had on a red velour tracksuit, right? And you know, you know what Richard looks like with the big hair and everything. A red, and around his neck, he had one of the hotel fluffy white towels. So he looked amazing. It was like, "Good morning," you know. This, this amazing, yeah, it was this amazing voice, you know, and the teeth and the hair. It just sensational. And I was like, and I had no idea he lived there. You know, and I was like. Jesus Christ, that, that's little Richard, you know. The, <laughs> I mean, and the lift descends and opens in the lobby, and the, the Hyatt had a sort of glass front that looked out onto Sunset Strip. And just over the road was that little tattoo place yeah. that everyone used to get tattooed at. But so, and as the doors open, 
pressed up against the glass doors were thousands, or it looked like thousands, I mean, probably a couple of hundred, girls just going nuts. And the reason is poison were in the lobby. Right. Poison were in the hotel lobby. And they were going, who knows where, I don't know where they were going? Who knows where they were going? They were just but going out to get some yeah, rooms. Yeah. But, and these women were going mental. And, in, and, and poison just kind of stand there lapping all this up. You know, <laughs> and, and little Richard gets out of the lift. And they're thinking, can this get any weirder? You know? and, he, and I thought, I've, I've got to see what's going to happen here. And little Richard walks over to the, uh, to the glass fronted thing. And it was like a revolving door. The, uh, the you know, the, not the matri d who was the, you know, the doorman the yeah, doorman yeah. Um, morning you know mr richard or whatever was he called it <laughs> morning little you know um spins him off the door and little richard did this jog he went past all the guys he did this jog and he went down one block <laughs> one block which was only about i don't know 50 years turned around and came back and put his towel back on and went back in the lift it was fantastic <laughs> only time i've ever, ever saw him but and I do remember what Poison were doing because we end up doing they were going on on tour and they played in Long Beach that that night, I think that we went and saw. Okay. And it was at the time I think Brett Michaels was going out Pamela Anderson at the time. What? Not bad. Not we, bad. Didn't yeah. we all uh, yeah, go we, out with Pamela we, at some point? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I didn't, and and you didn't, but no, everybody we else was did. there when someone else did. Yeah. So <laughs> that counts. Were so, Poison headlining that show? Or? I don't know if they were. I. I, I only ever went to, I only ever went to Long Beach twice in the, to the arena. And Long Beach is, I'm talking about LA being a big place. Long Beach is really miles way. away. It's miles away. And it's like a really industrial part. It's a port. It's part, you know, it's not a kind of, it's not like Venice Beach. It's not what you think. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to Long Beach. Can we, it's, no, it's not amazing. Anyway. And Isn't to get, it out near what they call Newport Beach? I, I, I which think is it, a really, I, Long. Yeah, that is, that's, and you yeah. get those kind of long reach. And I think Long Beach is a long beach, in fairness, but right. there, there is a port there and that sort of thing. Right. And um, to get there, you had, you had to go through South Central. Lovely. <laughs> so that was, I mean, that, and that was, but, you know, that was when South Central was South Central, let me tell you. So that was all interesting on the tour bus. But you no, know, the other band I saw that was, was sadly, it was Dio in one of their down swings. And it was the old, you know, when you used to go to those the 90s, arenas. This must be they, the 90s. Yeah, and they yeah. used to call it a half house or something. And what they would do is in the arena, which is obviously, you know, oval shaped. Right. And usually when you're doing well, the stage is at one half, end. Yeah. But this they would cut it in half. No joke, we played a game of football, like almost 11 aside, behind the stage. There was that much room in the afternoon it was Dio and Anthrax and someone I think it was, and it just hadn't sold at all but Poison was like Wah. well Everyone Poison nuts, definitely had their, their their big moment um, I mean we talked about the rainbow earlier on um, uh, I can very well remember one evening when I went in there with Slash um, again this is slightly before he's Slash yeah um I mean, uh, he was in my room using my room tab because um, <laughs> he didn't actually have anywhere to live at that yeah. moment. And um, so I just uh, took him round with me that night. Wherever I was going, he tagged along as my plus one. And we got to the rainbow and Poison were in there. And there was nearly a fight because I don't know if you remember, but Slash had been in Poison. Oh, he was, was yeah. Like you were saying how everybody was yeah, in everybody's yeah, band. Yeah. Yeah, Before C.C. Right. DeVille. Yeah. The great. The great C.C. DeVille. C.C. DeVille. Yeah. You know yeah. what the C.C. stood for, don't you? I, I, no. No, I don't know either. <laughs> I just thought, 
I just thought maybe you'd know. I always just assumed no, I was, it was cocaine I, Charlie. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to say what I was going to say. Well, cuddly okay. cutie. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah cuddly yeah. cutie Zuzil. Yeah. He was one of, the, one of the great intellects, CC. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he, he, wasn't, he like the, wasn't he like the Nicky Six of the band? Wasn't he the no. powerhouse behind this, the, you know, top-level songwriting? Didn't, wasn't it CC that came up with nothing, nothing but, but a good time? <laughs> <laughs> and it don't hope. get better yeah, than this. That, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so oh, yeah, Slash, yeah, Slash yeah. was in Poison, and and afterwards I said to Slash, "What's the what? You know, what's wrong with? Why don't you like CC? Yeah. You know." And Slash <laughs> said, um, "Explained he'd been in Poison. He goes for five minutes, mm. you know, but of course Slash was the top hat guy. Yeah, but Poison got super famous in '86. Yes, which was yes. Uh, I mean, Appetite came out a year later, yeah. over a year later." but didn't become a big album for another year nearly. And in that time, Cece had been in all these videos wearing a top hat. Oh. Well, you know what I mean? piss you off, wouldn't it? Well, if you were Slash, Man. and you're, you're, got, you're not even famous no, Slash. You've not even made the top hat famous yet. But Cece yeah. has come along, and he's made the top hat famous. I mean, that's a that was a hanging offence in West mm. Hollywood in yeah, those yeah, days. yeah. yeah. Cece will pay for that. Yeah. But I, do, I tell you what, Poison get derided. Um, but I remember that first album they did. Uh, and like most bands, they didn't come from L.A. They yeah. went to L.A. Yeah, yeah. And three of them had blonde hair. Yeah. And one of them, Bobby Dahl. Yeah. He had dark hair. But, but also, back to before I get to this, <laughs> back to names, Brett Michaels, Cece DeVille, mm. and the drummer. The great. The legendary. Mr. Ricky... Rocket. Yeah. Okay. But, okay. Ricky dude. Rocket. Have you met Ricky Rocket? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Ricky, are you the, are you Ricky Rocket? <laughs> I am Ricky Rocket, oh, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I forgot what it was. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. that first album, Look What the Cat Dragged In, I thought was mm. a great yeah. record. Have you, got, have you seen the uh, Someone's Updated the Cover with them? As old. It's no. Very funny. Oh, not, you mean not for no, real? No, the joke. album cover, yeah, yeah. No, oh. not for real, no. <laughs> yeah, fit, that would be great, wouldn't it? 50th anniversary edition. Here's how we look now. <laughs> Here's a treat for you. <laughs> What's oh. under Brett's fucking bandana? You know, no one ever knew, did they? What was under his bandana? Do you know what else? Do you know what else uh, you could do? Um... I was thinking of, I was, I was going to end this just for this episode, saying LA, LA rock in the 80s, you know, what would be, you know, what would make the the best of album? We, yeah, say Say, say 10 good, tracks. Yeah. We don't have to name all 10 tracks, although we can try. Mm. But I was also thinking what might be even more amazing would be a worst of. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Can what I, were yeah, the I ten say, worst yeah. tracks Paul in L.A. Rock? Paul Elliott right, once made a, a worst of Iron Maiden <laughs> that was fantastic. It was brilliant. Really funny. Yeah, we should, so many we should, candidates. We should patent that. I'm sure the bands would love it. The worst, the worst. album in the world. <laughs> yeah. Volume 3, L.A., 1984. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and what will be on it? Well, I, I don't know. I mean... If you remember the film Decline and Fall of Western Civilization that Penelope Spheris made, that is terrific. Odin are in that. Odin. Uh, Odin. Who can remember Odin? Oh. <laughs> Odin. Like the, par well, the party was, just never it, starts. It, it, was, it was all because. 
Bill Gazzari. Was it? Was his name? Bill, uh, was, ben Ben Gazzari. Ben or Bill? Ben. Ben's the famous. I think his name's Bill or Ben or. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's someone Gazzari, yeah, but he's an old guy, you know. Back oh, in the, the, act, the actor? Or? No, 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 the no. guy who ran, he was an old guy, and he had he ran Gazzari's the club. Oh, right, maybe Do you it was him? Bill. Yeah, maybe it was. And Bill. he had even this is even in the eighties. He was an old. I mean, he was sort of in his seventies or something, and he had uh, like grey hair, but he dressed like a rock guy and he'd have a couple of chicks but it wasn't convincing <laughs> and he'd go and he used to get no and, really and go, um, randy from o randy was the singer in odin, odin. okay and, and he who can the, and who he, can remember uh, odin well i can remember odin because i've talked about it so many times because they became fascinating but randy was he he looked like david lee roth but the non-famous version of david lee. so he was a big strong guy with like long Blonde hair. He looked good, you yeah, know, but yeah. but he didn't look famous. I mean, Roth looked famous. He Do you did, know what I mean yeah. when I say someone yeah. looks famous? Oh no, he had a lot yeah. of uh, charisma. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, Randy looked good, but he didn't look famous. But he would wear. You remember, everyone used to wear those sort of leather biker chaps. Oh yeah. But you'd wear. Didn't a, we all wear those, yeah. John, in those days? <laughs> we, I, I used to I, wear some with the arse out. Yeah. You well, know? well, this was Randy's thing. Was everyone used to wear <laughs> jeans underneath, except Randy. He used to just. <laughs> Just wear the chaps. And Bill Gazzari used to be looking at him going, that Randy, he's a foxy guy. <laughs> <laughs> and Re uh, Odin had a song called 12 O'Clock High. And I, I advise you to go, you see, Randy used to go, are you ready for the 12 O'Clock High? <laughs> it was my favourite LA song. And he used to go, 12 O'Clock Twelve o'clock high in the way those voices used to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you couldn't really sing, you used to get over it by you know doing screeching, the, doing the screeching. So, twelve o'clock high is my nomination. I don't know what yours is. Okay, what for worst song? Worst song. Oh my god, so many. Although we say there are some great LA songs as well, which I think we used to talk about quite often. I mean, Under the Bridge is a great LA song. Yeah, I, I think and, when it uh, comes to that LA metal era we're talking about, though, I think greatest song and worst song. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap. There's a, there could be, There's a lot of one overlap. One man's greatest is another man's I mean, shine, Round yeah. and Round by Rat. Round and Round's a great... Uh, I, 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 could, I could say that a great, terrible song. Well, I, I, yeah. at the time, I remember thinking, you know, uh, isn't this a bit kind of cheesy and obvious? Yeah. But as the years went by... Mm. I mean, I remember when it came up in that movie, The Wrestler. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's heartbreaking. Fantastic wrestling. It's heartbreaking. You know that guy, Ryan Adams, the... Uh, yeah. Not Brian yeah. Adams, Ryan Adams. No, Ryan, yeah. yeah. He does a cover, like a little acoustic cover of it. That's And you think, no, actually, it's a great tune. Do you know what else Ryan Adams does? He does well, Wasted Years. He does. Amazingly well. Amazingly well, yeah. because it is an amazing song. song. Yeah. Which yeah. Adrian Smith wrote on his yeah. own. Ah. On the Somewhere in Time album, which featured no, no. Bruce Dickinson songs <laughs> whatsoever. Oh uh, yeah, very good. Oh uh, dear. Now, well, John, I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna wrap this one up. That's a wrap. But we are going to return to Los Angeles. Let's hope so. Often. We are going to return to the eighties uh, in our never-ending mission to go uh, where pretty much every man has been before. <laughs> As as the bishop said to the yeah. actress in Los Angeles in about 1984. <laughs> Get your rocks off. That's exactly what she said to him. <laughs> All right, John. Thank you. And uh, uh, later. Yeah, later, dude. If you liked this episode, be sure to leave us a review, share it with a friend, or plain old subscribe 
wherever you happen to listen to it. For full episode show notes, visit nofilter.media forward slash get your rocks up.